The Tom Woods Show, episode 1127. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, my listeners and I have had great results with Harry's razors. They give you a smooth, comfortable shave. Harry's wants to send you a $13 value trial set. To redeem that trial set, head over to harrys.com woods. That's harrys.com woods. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. I am joined today by Mitchell Toland. Mitch is running for U.S. Congress from Maryland. And as you know, I don't feature very many office seekers on the show for a variety of reasons. But Mitch just has such a great, authentic, real story. Anybody who knows something about Hayekian triangles and is also interested in politics is a pretty rare thing. I would say it's Ron Paul and nobody else. So anyway, I like this guy. I think he's, a, he's definitely on the side of the angels, as they say. But whether politics is the right route to go, well, that's going to be one of the topics we discuss today. So Mitch, welcome. Thanks for having me, Tom. You've just got a really interesting story, and I'm a sucker for interesting stories. So, you know, let's let's get into it. I generally don't have people seeking office on the show unless I know them personally. And that rule is that, as otherwise, the whole show would just be office seekers and it would just be f- fundraising opportunities. And I, I, I so I, I have to, plus, I, there's also the possibility that the person's a shyster, and I don't want to do that to people. So anyway, but uh, let's let's talk about your your story here. I like how you found out about the Mises Institute and Austrian economics. You were taking an economics course and the professor handed out paper assignments out of a hat and you were given as a topic Hayekian triangles. Now that first of all that's amazing to me that that topic would have been given. Uh, we do not have to get into what Hayekian triangles are, but they have to do with capital theory and they can help illuminate the business cycle. But the point is, you were given this highly unorthodox, although very, very interesting topic. First, I'm just curious, by the way, do you happen to know if that professor had any sympathies for our side of things or is it just a fluke that he chose that as a possible topic? The econ department at uh, the college I attended was generally quote unquote, like conservative. Um, okay. but it was not something, you know, I never heard the term Austrian school passed around. Right. Uh, you were far more likely to hear the monetarist theory, you know, stuff like that. Um, but to be honest, at the point I was handed that piece of paper, I had no idea what I was looking at. Uh, and that's what led me to Google and led me to the Mises Institute. Eventually, uh, the first I ever heard of the Austrian school was watching a Roger Garrison YouTube video from a Mises uh, University lecture that he gave. uh, And it kind of just opened my mind. And it was like, wow, here, this is what's been missing. Uh, Because it kind of led me to that capital theory path of the Austrians, uh, you know, the impact interest rates have. And that's what got me started in the liberty movement. Uh, Really, I found Mises through that. And Mises led me to a more political side. I had no real knowledge of politics at the time. uh, And that's what brought me to where we are today. And looking back on it, I find it pretty amazing that I was given that piece of paper. It's almost like it was a destiny in a way. Yeah, that's really crazy. Roger Garrison is a name people who are very familiar with the Mises Institute will know. Uh, Not as many people know him as should know him, but he has these famous PowerPoint presentations that he does every year. And you can get him off his faculty page. He's emeritus now. 
in which he is trying to explain the Austrian business cycle theory and, and Austrian capital theory in ways that a mainstream economist would kind of get so that it it's not just all going over his head using language that they don't use. He's trying to use their language and their concepts to explain it. And I think it's it's very effective. And it grabbed your attention, which is, which is very interesting, because, of course, a lot of people are not brought into all this by watching PowerPoint presentations on economics. It's usually <laughs> something else. It was, it was a Ron Paul speech or it was some debate moment or something like that. So to me, I just think it's fun to encounter somebody who came in through that particular avenue. Now, at that time, though, you were still... I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's let's savor yeah. let's savor this story a bit here. You were as many people were. Many people can attest to this that they had the same experience. You were still watching and listening to what kind of people at this point when it comes to political analysis. Yeah, so I'm very open about it. Uh, when I the first election I was ever able to vote in was the 2008 election. Um, and this goes to show you how, uh, your mind can still take shape, uh, as you age. So I originally was pulled towards Mike Huckabee, but then somehow made the transition to, uh, Barack Obama because his anti-war message really appealed to me, uh, everything like that. Uh, so I am open about the fact that in 2008, I did support Barack Obama. Uh, by the time I was handed this piece of paper and it had been a few years after the fact now. Uh, I had transitioned to listening to Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, Hannity, and, you know, watching Fox News every night and going through that path. Uh, and then at the point I was handed that piece of paper, it led me to the Roger Garrison video from Mises University, which obviously led me to Mises and led me to other liberty-minded sites such as Lou Rockwell. And that all led me to uh, the Ron Paul campaign and Ron Paul himself. So then I immediately began watching everything I could on Ron Paul. Uh, and that's what really turned my life around and led me down the path that I am on today, uh, which is that libertarian message uh, and going for uh, getting elected to the House of Delegates in Maryland uh, and now running for Congress. Uh, we really want to take that message, the Ron Paul message, the libertarian message to the masses and try to educate as many people and open as many minds as possible. So you're rather a young guy. So eventually you graduate from college, you go off and do something that I don't know what it is. And now you've decided that you want to jump into the political arena. Now, as soon as we say that, there'll be a lot of objections raised from, if we might call it that, our side of things, who will say, this is a waste of time. Politics isn't going to get you anywhere. If it could, we would have achieved more than we have, or there just isn't a big enough group of people interested in this stuff to make it possible, or Ron Paul was a fluke because he was a medical doctor, and a lot of people in his district knew him because of his practice, and they liked him on a personal level so they could overlook the ideology. Whatever it is, there are all kinds of objections. Or they'll say politics is aggression or voting is aggression. There are a lot of different anti-perspectives on this, and surely you've sorted through those in your mind and come to the conclusion that it's okay for you to do what you're doing. So before we get into the details of what it is you're trying to do, what, what do you say to people who say this is a fruitless waste of time and maybe even a wicked waste of time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, funny enough, I had to convince my own wife. Uh, she is of the uh, part of the liberty movement that you were just talking about. Uh, so I first ran for office uh, as for state delegate here in Maryland. 
uh, when I was 24, uh, four years ago. Um, and I had to get her on board. It, it took some convincing. Uh, but in the end, uh, as much as we could debate the uh, legitimacy of anarcho-capitalism and what an ideal society would be structured like uh, in the real world right now, we do have the government that we have and we have politicians every day, you know, encroaching on our liberties. So I felt that someone at least needed to stand up and present our side of the argument and in a way use it as an education tool in it, similar to how Ron Paul ended up doing it. Uh, you know, when I did that campaign in 2014, uh, I was only able to do it uh, before the primary for seven weeks, but I got to meet a ton of people in my area. I got to shake their hands and expose them to the ideas of liberty. And I felt by at least if I could just get one nugget stuck in their mind that they would then go and research that that could help swing the tide over time. Um, and that's kind of where I come at it from. I think if I can get to Congress this time and I can join, you know, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash and Rand in spreading this message, uh, the more people we have there to stand up against what's going on and spread the message of liberty and present these libertarian ideas to the general public, I think the better uh, we will all be off in the long term. Um, I'm, you know, on your website in the about page, it talks about your interest in economics, it talks about the ratification debates. And if I may be perfectly blunt, almost nothing could be further from the minds of the average voter. <laughs> and that we, we're in a bubble where we think everybody cares about this stuff. If we're going to have a constitution, we may as well interpret it the way it was sold to the public. Most people could not care less about that. Does not cover their radar, and certainly they're not interested in Hayekian triangles. So, how do you reach somebody like that? Yeah, so that I, I found. Uh, yeah, you're right. If I go to someone's door and start talking about Hayekian triangles, uh, I'm probably going to have that door shut on my face. And I've had doors shut on me before. Um, not fun, but I, I try to present the arguments in as simple of terms as I can, you know, layman's terms. Here's why the economy goes through these fluctuations that it goes through. And the constitutional argument, at least in my district, has played pretty well. Uh, we've seen people gravitating towards that message. Um, the, the hardest one to convince people is that the Bill of Rights was not intended to apply to the states. Uh, they look at you like you have three heads when you tell them that. Uh, and I was actually just having this debate before we came on uh, with someone in regards to the uh, our governor in Maryland, Governor Hogan, is settling a suit with the ACLU in regards to his Facebook page blocking and deleting comments from constituents. Uh, and I had someone message me about that, uh, praising that as a win for the First Amendment. Uh, and then we got into a debate over why the Bill of Rights did not apply to the states. Um, but I, I found that if I can keep it very simple and keep it on a constitutional argument about why, what the government is doing. You know, it's very simple. You know, Congress should declare war. So this is why these ventures overseas are unconstitutional and we should bring the troops home. Um, and if you reach out to them and say, look, I'm not opposed to us taking action when necessary, but I just want to make sure that at every turn we follow the limits placed on each uh, branch of government by the Constitution so that we can keep the government as limited as possible. I've had success in reaching people in that manner. Tell me about the ins and outs of this particular race, this district, the other candidates, and where you fit into all of it. So it's currently held by Congressman Dutch Ruppersberger. Uh, he has been called the NSA's best friend. And we are in one of the worst uh, gerrymandered districts in the country. 
uh, Congressional District 2 in Maryland has been carved out uh, with the intent of keeping many defense contractors and the NSA headquarters uh, within this district. Uh, so it is definitely a challenge. You know, I'm up against someone that's held office since I believe 2003. Uh, and before that, he was a local county executive around here uh, and things like that. Um, so that would be the challenge uh, we would face if we got through the primary. Uh, in my primary itself, there are three other candidates. The other three candidates in the race are more establishment like they are not, you know, the libertarians that we all know and love. Uh, they're more of the Trump-like, uh, you know, Fox News establishment Republicans. They're not necessarily, you know, for free and open trade. They are more protectionist policies, uh, and they lack that understanding of the Federal Reserve's role in the business cycle and the impact it's had on the economy. Uh, and that's why I think our message will really resonate with the people in the district because we're opening their minds to something new, a message they haven't heard. Uh, that if we can get them to look into, we believe we can really turn a lot of voters our way and get through that primary election. Our goal, obviously, is to get to face off with Congressman Ruppersberger and kind of expose him for how he has violated the Constitution and he has not really had the best interests uh, of my district at heart uh, during his time in D.C. So that's a little summary of kind of what our area looks like. In my part of Maryland, we have, you know, Northrop Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, those plus the NSA is located uh, in my district as well. All right. So you are running then as a Republican. I am. I am. He is a the incumbent is a Democrat. Uh, and I chose to take the path of running as a Republican uh, in the primary um, with the goal of obviously getting through the primary. And I felt that this would give us the best chance to actually put up a real fight against him. So can you handicap the, the primary race for us? Uh, in general, there, like I said, there are three people. Uh, one of the uh, guys running has run a couple times before, and he never really seems to do much. He just kind of gets his name on the ballot. Um, I have another uh, com competitor. She actually ran as a Democrat uh, for two elections prior to this, and then uh, changed to Republican and ended up in our district, even though she does not live inside of District 2. Uh, the law allows her to run within District 2. So she's actually not from here, but running here as a Republican now. Uh, and then the final candidate came on the final filing day. He was actually registered to run for state Senate in uh, our local District 32, uh, but withdrew from that and filed for Congressional District 2 uh, the last day. Um, but that's kind of a broad summary of what the competition for me looks like. How uphill of a battle are you facing? Do you have much name recognition? And if not, what are you trying to do to overcome that? Yeah, so in my district, uh, luckily for me in Congressional District 2, the heart of the district is actually the portion of the district where I ran for state delegate in 2014. Um, so I do have a lot of name recognition in the areas of the district that have, you know, dense population and are a little more Republican leaning. Uh, for primary purposes. Uh, so that is one benefit that we have there. Uh, getting through the primary, we're confident we will. Uh, in Maryland, we have, you know, we just had a survey done by one of the larger blogs around here. And I did finish first in that uh, for what that's worth. Um, obviously, online polls aren't everything. Um, but we finished first there. But we're pretty confident that we will have a successful primary run. Uh, the 
race against Dutch would definitely be uphill. I mean, he has a million dollars in the bank on his last financial uh, report and statement. Um, that would be an uphill battle, but we're confident, you know, with we can hit enough doors and outwork him uh, to compensate for the uh, overbearing funds that he has. All right, more about this, and we're going to talk about Ron Paul and how he fits into all this after we thank our sponsor. Folks, it's time for the story of Bad Luck Percival. Ah, poor Bad Luck Percival. Or, as his friends sometimes called him, Cheapskate Bloody Face. He was forced to be a cheapskate because he blew all his money on expensive razor blades because he didn't know about Harry's. And Bloody Face because, of course, he was deprived of the smooth, close shave that you and I love about Harry's. I like Harry's razors so much that I bought the most deluxe set they offered for Michael Malice, one of your favorite guests on The Tom Woods Show. Harry's founders knew that a great shave comes down to great blades made with sharp, durable steel that lasts. So they bought a factory that's been making some of the highest quality blades in the world for over 95 years. Harry stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know switching razors isn't an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. This $13 value trial set comes with a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners of my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com woods. Make sure you go to harrys.com woods to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Ron Paul is obviously the model for a lot of people, and he himself warns that it's hard to just say, I think I'm going to run for Congress. He discourages that for a variety of reasons, and he's not completely convinced that his experience can be replicated. And moreover, in his experience, he did things that were highly unorthodox. Now, certainly, he did more unorthodox things in his presidential than in his congressional races. But in his presidential campaign, he clearly was not appealing to the traditional Republican voter. And in closed primaries where only Republicans can vote, certainly that hurt him. But he thought, what would be the point of running the campaign any other way? And he's already a congressman. He's already, you know, he already had reached a level of prominence because young people were jumping on board the campaign. So it almost didn't matter just from the point of view of spreading the message how it all turned out because he had already succeeded in spreading the message. So his view was, I'm just going to answer the questions the way they need to be answered and let the chips fall where they may. Is that your approach? Yeah, so that, that was something that my wife and I discussed as well. You know, If we were going to do this, we were going to run on what I believe. Uh, we weren't going to hide the fact that you know after I got that piece of paper in college uh, for the assignment, uh, I did the paper on Hayakian Triangles, which led me to Roger Garrison, the Mises Institute. The Mises Institute led me to Ron Paul. Uh, and he became the cornerstone of what got me involved in politics and the liberty movement itself. Uh, and I'm forever indebted to him for that. Uh, but we do not hide from what I believe. Uh, anyone that goes to my website will see on the issues page, uh, right off the bat, the top three issues that we want to talk about are the war on drugs, uh, the Federal Reserve, the economy, restoring the Fourth Amendment, um, foreign uh foreign aid, uh, foreign policy, national defense, you know, we do call for a, I know it seems simple, but, you know, eliminating the Department of Education would be one of the things that we think we should do. So we don't hide from those controversial issues. Uh, our goal is to make people understand why we feel that we're right and why this would be best for the country. Uh, and again, use it kind of as an educational tool. Obviously, we have the goal of winning. Um, but if we can 
open as many minds as possible to the ideas, we think that would also be a win. You're in such a difficult place. I mean, I've heard nothing. I'm sorry, but I've heard nothing but discouraging things about where you're from. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I, I there was a time, I don't know if I should actually confess this, but let's just say I lived in a state where the various things that they would trot out against me to try to destroy me with would not have worked. That would have been completely neutralized. And I did briefly think about the possibility of running for Congress myself. I actually did that probably about 10 years ago. I, I considered that. Uh, there, I think I, if there had been an open seat, well, you know, uh, it, it at least would have been a contest. But is there any time where you think to yourself, I, I can't alone on my own change enough minds? Or, or is, it, is it possible that you could run on a strategy where if you got the nomination, you could then not run to the center the way all these cowards do, but just hone in on two or three things that a lot of voters would care about, whether or not they're purely ideological libertarians, which, by the way, would be the strategy I would follow. I would answer any question they asked me as honestly as I could, but I would make the focus of my campaign two or three major things. I'm, I'm talking too much here, but I'm thinking back to the way Howard Stern ran for governor of New York. Now, I'm not a Howard Stern fan at all in any sense, but that was what he did. He focused on three things. He wanted uh, to bring the death penalty back to New York. He wanted the road work to be done at night so that it's not causing unnecessary congestion. And there was a third thing I've forgotten about. But in other words, he didn't, I don't even think he was an ideological libertarian, but he just basically thought, look, there are a few things that now, whether he was right about them or not is, is immaterial, that will improve practically and immediately the lives of the people I represent. And so those are the things I'm going to focus on. All right. Try and make a question out of all the things I just said there. Yeah. So I, I would take it back to probably 2010, 2011. Uh, the issues that are now very important to me became important to me through that coming to the liberty movement. Uh, through Ron Paul and first the Mises Institute, but obviously Ron Paul was the, you know, the political side of things there. So the three things I think in our district that I could focus on that are very important to the constituents here, one would be civil liberties. Uh, you know, demographically speaking, those are very important here. Uh, I would press on, you know, the war on drugs, its failures there, how it's decimated our inner cities. Uh, because of the gerrymandering, I do have some portions of Baltimore City included in my district, uh, and anyone that follows this stuff understands the struggles Baltimore is currently having. Um, so that is definitely something we could focus on there. I would also focus on, again, this would be considered in the civil liberties, but, you know, the right to privacy, foreign, um, the right to privacy in the Fourth Amendment, uh, anything like that. And cronyism, you know, crony capitalism is something that we think would play well here as well. Uh, and it should play well everywhere. I don't want to say just here. It should play well everywhere. Uh, but given that this district is more Democrat than Republican, um, we think those would be the areas that we could cover and really emphasize the liberty message, the libertarian message, and appeal to those voters. Because in order to be successful, if we get through the primary, we're going to have to convert some of those Democrat voters to Republican uh, in the general election. You know, I can't help going back to something you said a little bit earlier about your evolution because I'm thinking about the likely people you would be up against. And they, I assume a lot of them will hold views that we all would expect them to hold 
fairly conventional views on a lot of things, particularly foreign policy. I find it interesting that you could have gone from from Mike Huckabee to Barack Obama. That's an interesting jump. And that you would say that the anti-war message was very much in your mind. So you so you were sympathetic to an evangelical candidate, and then the anti-war message became important, and then you found Ron Paul. Can you reconstruct how you went through those different stages? Yeah, so at the time when I found Huckabee, I would have been 18, I believe. Um, and for some reason, I was like, hey, this guy seems genuine. You know, uh, this is somebody I'd vote for for president. And you're all excited because it's your first election uh, that you get to vote in at the time. Uh, and like I said, I didn't have any political background. Uh, but over time, as I started following the race, then I was like, wow, you know, the foreign policy really appealed to me that Barack Obama was putting out there. And I was too naive at the time to you know, realize it wasn't really going to come to fruition, but it sounded really good at the time. So that's how I gravitated over to that. Uh, and then I had a friend that I was working with during the summer who told me, hey, you have to listen to Rush Limbaugh. You have to. Um, so at, during the day, we would start listening to Rush when we were sitting there at work. Uh, and I'd listen with him. And that kind of pulled me over to the Fox News side of it uh, and got me away from that foreign policy for a little bit. Uh, and it didn't come back to me until I eventually again found the Mises Institute. I found Ron Paul and the way he presented it, it did, it, it just made sense. And I'll never forget watching when he gave, uh, when was this? I ended up seeing the clip later, but when he gave Rudy Giuliani the, uh, list of books to read. Um, and I thought that was just such a sly political move, uh, on his part to give that, uh, to Mr. Giuliani. And that really was the moment I, when I saw that online and again, I was checking out Ron Paul forums and dailypaul.com uh, at the time. And once I heard that message and it made sense and I started realizing the things that we were doing overseas, like Madeline Albright's comment about how the 500,000 kids, you know, it was worth it for the goal. And it, that really stuck with me. And I knew that the libertarian message of non-interventionism, not isolationism, as some will like to classify us, but non-interventionism was the correct foreign policy. Uh, and it did. It, it took my awakening and hearing Dr. Paul share this message and checking out those books that he had you know, given to Mr. Giuliani uh, that really solidified that foreign policy for me. Uh, and it's what I now preach uh, when I'm out campaigning and, you know, publicly put on my website and stand by. It's uh, one of those things we'll never back down from because especially in my district, uh, we're home to so much of the military industrial complex uh, that we need to fight back. If I fight back here, I'm fighting back right on their own territory uh, and pushing back against it here. And it's become something that's incredibly important to me uh, as I run for office. What's your website? The website is very simple. It is Mitch. Formd.com. All right, so we're going to link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1127, show notes page for today. Well, best of luck to you on what you're doing. I am sure in the comments section of this episode, there will be a lively exchange 
about whether you're doing heroic work or whether you are a terrible betrayer of everything we hold dear. <laughs> and uh, I will enjoy watching that unfold for the 817,000th time. But that doesn't mean it's not a, wor a worthy conversation to have. It's just it's the same darn conversation all the time. Yeah. But anyway, I, I do hope it goes well for you. I mean, most importantly, I hope a lot of people start thinking about things in a new way, exactly the way you yourself did, and that they have as open a mind as you have proven to have. A lot of people latch on to something and they just hold on to it for dear life. And it's very, very, very hard to get them to see the world differently. You've shown you're capable of, of making an intellectual change like that. And I hope that means that you will be an effective con uh, uh, conduit of brand new ideas to a whole lot of other people. Well, anyway, best of luck and thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Tom. All right, everybody. It's that time again. It's that time I have. Can you believe how creative people who listen to this show are? It's just they there are new things being created all the time. So here's a website created again by a listener of this show, and it's called NowhereToInvest.com, but it's the number two. So Nowhere, the number two, Invest.com. And he describes it this way. He says, this site is intended to help people with little or no investing experience overcome their biggest investment challenges. Specifically, I help people discover how to invest their money through personal coaching and training resources personalized for their unique situation. With my help, they will be able to invest their money with complete peace of mind, knowing they have made good investment choices. Well, obviously, everybody do your due diligence with this as with anything else, but I do want you to be aware of it and check it out. It's a Tom Wood Show listener. At nowhere to invest, nowhere the number two invest.com. Get publicity like this plus great other bonuses from me. When you use my link, when you go to get your web hosting, check out the details of all the goodies you get at tomwoods.com slash publicity. Now, tomorrow we got Owen Benjamin coming back on the show. The bad guys have been giving him a really, really rough time of it. And I wanted to have him back on to talk about that in particular. He's just a regular guy. He's just a normal comedian. He's not even particularly edgy, if you ask me. He's he's good. He's he's funny, but he's not telling super outrageous jokes that would just shock you. Uh, he's not Andrew Dice Clay or anything. I'm sure most of my listeners are too young even to know who that is. And yet he's being treated appallingly. So we're going to see what do you do in that sort of situation. So that'll be a very, very worthwhile episode tomorrow. I hope you'll join me for that. Thanks so much. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.